forever. Amen. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you this morning, and I'm so glad that this uh, weather has not kept you uh, away. And we're glad for those of you who, for whatever reason, aren't able to be with us this morning. We're in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 8, and we won't be taking up every passage in the, in the book of Acts. Um, I'm only with you a short time, and there's much in this book uh, that we want to uh, develop, and so I haven't taken time to do some of chapter 5 or all of the story of uh, Stephen's being uh, stoned. Let's pray, and then we'll stand for the reading of God's word. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Quicken our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear what the Spirit says through the book of Acts to us today. Enable us to see Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please, if you would, stand. And Saul approved his execution, that's Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of uh, Judah and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God that's called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. And when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, 
for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos, and as he passed through, preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. It was unexpected, but it led to fulfillment. Uh, When I uh, met him, uh, he worked at General Electric and served uh, as an elder. He was uh, one of the most talented people I've ever met, a software engineer, a musician, and a seminary graduate. He'd been licensed uh, to preach uh, in the presbytery I was serving. And it happened. GE decided that they no longer needed his services, and in his mid-50s, he found himself unemployed. As his pastor, I rushed to his side, uh, expecting him uh, to either be depressed or anxious and perhaps devastated. Uh, And he said, you know, the first time I was laid off, I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened in my life. But this time... It means I can pursue uh, my dream of serving Christ with my seminary education. And so it is today 
that he trains uh, pastors around uh, the globe and serves uh, with an organization called Equipping Leaders International. As Luke chronicles the fallout from the martyrdom of Stephen, the unexpected happens. The Jerusalem church is scattered, and as a result, the church expands. Unexpectedly, the scattered church fulfills the words of Jesus, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria uh, to the ends of the earth. Just how did this happen? Well, Luke tells us that Saul approved of Stephen's execution, and there arose that day a great persecution in Jerusalem. A great persecution followed Stephen's death. Now, Saul was no innocent bystander. Luke knows that he approved of it because Paul told him uh, along uh, the many uh, months they traveled together. And further, we're told that those who were stoning Stephen placed their cloaks at Saul's uh, feet, which implies that he was an acknowledged leader of the opposition. He was a key figure in the persecution that followed. Saul breaks and enters people's homes the way the secret police do in a totalitarian state. He was ravaging the church. Now, as an aside, this is the very first time in the book of Acts that the Christians are called the church. This word, church, in, in Greek is the same word the Old Testament uses for the assembly or the congregation. And what Luke is telling us here is that Paul is opposing the true Israel. He's destroying its community life which found its strength in its house meetings. Now the church, but not the apostles, the rank and file, uh, they go and proclaim the good news. They are not intimidated by this experience. They don't cower, but they're convinced that they have a unique and authoritative uh, message to give people concerning Jesus. And so they share it with those uh, who they met. Now, this was not planned. The apostles uh, did not uh, organize this. There's no specific guidance from the Spirit. No, it's just that the ordinary Christians were so captivated by Jesus. They'd experienced such profound change in their lives that their excitement and joy just overflowed. They, they couldn't contain themselves. They wanted to share with people what had happened to them, that they might experience it. This pattern of rejection in one place becoming an opportunity for people elsewhere to receive the gospel is noted again and again in the book of Acts. And this pattern continues today. One of the most striking examples happened in 19... 19- Uh, 49, when the communists defeated the national government in China. There were 630 China inland missionaries working in China, and they were expelled. And everyone at the time thought it was a disaster for the work that was in its infancy in China. But within a few short years, 
Half of those missionaries will redeploy in Southeast Asia and Japan. And the church in China grew. It, it multiplied in an extraordinary uh, way in the midst of severe persecution. Purdue University has a center on religion and Chinese society. And they estimate somewhere between 95 and 115 million uh, Christians, Protestant Christians, live in China today. And some people think it's, it's more. They're mostly in house churches, and they're mostly below the radar, so they're very difficult uh, to count. But the point's this. God and the gospel are not defeated by human opposition, no matter how evil and intense. Now, when Luke writes, verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is more than simply him stating the facts. Now Luke's drawing us in. He's drawing us in and asking us, what part are we playing in proclaiming the gospel? What are we doing to further the advance of the gospel? And in what follows in the rest of this chapter, as well as most of the book, gives us insight as to how the gospel spreads. And there's really much to learn and take in uh, from just this one chapter. Samaria is reached. Philip makes Christ known in Samaria. Now, Philip flees from Jerusalem and heads to the capital of the Samaritans. Now, if you don't know, the Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. There was bad blood uh, between them. Why? Well, the Jews viewed them as mixing Judaism uh, with pagan religion. And they also uh, viewed them as people uh, mixing in marriage with pagans. The Samaritans established a new place of worship, building a temple on Mount Gerizim to replace the temple in Jerusalem where they were not welcome. And some Jews returned the favor uh, before, uh, the before the first century and destroyed uh, that temple. And so you can imagine the animosity ran deep. Even though the Samaritans uh, reverenced the same five books of Moses that the Jews did. Who better to go to the Samaritans and preach the good news to these outcasts than Philip, who himself is a Greek-speaking Jewish Christian who's been cast out of his home, Jer Jerusalem, to where the outcast Samaritans live. His experience would enable him to understand the feelings of those who were hated and marginalized. Here's something to think about. Your most difficult life experiences enable you to understand and sympathize with others so that you can actually relate the gospel to them in a way that many other people could not. Philip bridged the gap uh, maintained by bitter, bitter rivalries uh, between these two peoples with his sympathy. Now, Philip Yancey in his book, The Vanishing uh, Grace, reminds us just how much similar animosity exists in our world today. This is the Jews and Samaritans who really, in 
had much, much in common, uh, were quite hostile. The way sometimes family members are who are estranged from each other, they just uh, keep their grudges uh, going. So it's often true that people who are very similar uh, to one another, groups that have so much in common, find themselves at such great odds. Uh, perhaps you remember uh, Rwanda or Yugoslavia and had trouble, I had trouble understanding what was the difference between the, the Tutsis and uh, uh, the Hutus or the Bosnak, the Serb, and the, and the Croat or the Sunnis uh, and the Shiites uh, today. These people who are almost the same but hate each other with intensity and would slaughter each other uh, gladly. And if truth be told, sometimes uh, we act the way James and John did when the Samaritan village uh, uh, didn't welcome Jesus. We want to call down fire from heaven on them. But have you thought about this? Your unbelieving neighbors and you have far more in common as people made in the image of God living in America than your differences. You see, you can throw uh, 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 rocks at them or you can build rapport. You can erect walls or bridges. And Philip builds a bridge. And the result was that crowds were drawn to his ministry. And Samaria received the word of God so that there was great joy in that city. People who had been previously oppressed under this by the spiritual uh, ministry of Simon, the magician and the counterfeit spirituality had turned to Christ and were baptized. And word of this travels up to Jerusalem. And Peter and John are sent to investigate. And they discover the people have not received the Holy Spirit, and so they lay hands on them and pray for them, and the Spirit comes to them and authenticates that their faith is real and that they are now a part of the people of God. The apostles witnessed this for the sake of the church in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is acting in a unique way. He delays his coming precisely so that the church can be assured that the Samaritans, in fact, have become uh, Christians This great chasm that's existed for centuries has been bridged. And they need to to hear from reliable people that in fact that's what God has done. The mission Jesus gave the church advances. The gospel spreading beyond Jewish people. And then Luke focuses on, on one person in Samaria. Now he's a prominent figure and we actually know about him from outside the New Testament. His name is Simon. Just who is he? Well, he was a man who had great power over uh, the city. People accepted his claim to be the special power of God. What he was, he was claiming to be more uh, than human, and his claim was supported by the powerful deeds of magic he did. Now, when we think of magic, we think of illusionists, but that's not uh, this kind of magic. This kind of magic was a manifestation of the power that came uh, from Satan. And he too appears to believe, but he's a pretender. It becomes clear 
that his heart is not right. He's a pretender. First, Simon thinks he can obtain or, or regain his power, since after all, he was the great power of God, and he thought he'd get it back with money. And he assumes that the Holy Spirit's a thing that can be managed and ordered. To him, the Holy Spirit is just another spiritual being and authority to be controlled rather than God to be received. And so when he says, give me this power, what he does is he wants uh, to be able to sell what cannot be sold, something he does not possess. Peter says his heart is not right. He's bitter. And on the surface, of he's jealous. He's lost his following, and he wants to be great again. But there's something deeper here. He has not submitted to Jesus as Lord. He hasn't renounced his practices and the worldview of magic, which is based on manipulation. Magic in the ancient world as it is today, the dark magic manipulates spiritual forces to get something. Perhaps it's a healing, perhaps it's direction or something else that's uh, desirable. And Peter says he's in the bond of iniquity. What he means by this is that the power of sin has not been broken in Simon's life. Peter curses uh, Simon, and for us it might seem very, very harsh that he does that. But it's because Simon is acting as an agent of Satan, and he's brought people under a false religion. And he's in conflict uh, with Christ. And so uh, Peter speaks strongly because what's at stake is not only Simon's soul, but that of the city. And we're seeing something very fundamental about what a genuine response to the gospel looks like. What it actually means to be a Christian. And it's this. Christianity calls for this submission of faith to a God who sacrifices himself and can be trusted to do good for us. See, all other religions use God. They leave human pride and self-sufficiency intact. They play into our desire to play God. But when we do that, well, we'll discover that actually we can't pull it off. After all, we're finite. We're, We're limited. And so we have to look somewhere uh, else for a backup. And so we fashion a homemade uh, God. And then we swing back and forth between the impossible of playing God uh, and the inadequate relying on something that ultimately uh, uh, fails us. This leaves us restless and and insecure um, because in our insecurities of limited person, we actually can't manage our lives Uh, to be uh, what we want, and our God substitutes sooner or later fail us. They can't give us what they promise. And Christianity offers a radical alternative. It calls for us to trust in a God who sacrifices himself for us, to give us the life that we need and actually at the deepest level we want. Now, this may sound scary, and if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, we're honored that you're here today. And the idea of of 
complete submission to God may just really seem, well, just frightening to you. It's, though, a little like pre-wedding jitters. Many, many people, as they're getting close to their wedding date, start to have serious reservations about letting go of control of their lives. And they begin to think about the implications of what they're going to do. They're always going to have to think about what another person uh, wants and needs and not just themselves. But, you know, they go ahead, they take the step, they get married, and then soon, usually really soon, they begin to enjoy the, the blessings of marriage. They find out that really it wasn't that difficult uh, to give up their life of independence and to live life uh, with another person concerned for their well-being. The second person that Philip encounters is a sincere seeker, the Ethiopian eunuch who believes the gospel Now, an angel directs Philip to a desert road where he encounters an important government official. He's from the edge of the known world. He's black, castrated, and probably a Gentile. He's reading from the book of Isaiah, which is a very expensive possession because it had to be copied by hand. And he was devout. He was God-fearing, a keen student of the Old Testament. He's coming up from Jerusalem. But because he's a eunuch and the law forbids a eunuch in entering the courts of the temple, his worship was, well, it wasn't where ordinarily it might be in the temple courts. Now, you might imagine in your mind this story that there's a chariot charging across like in, like in some movie, like the Gladiator, but it's not like that. This chariot is traveling at about a walking pace. And so uh, Philip is instructed to run up to it. He does. He hears the man reading out loud, which is in fact the way people read up until fairly recently in human history when they read. And, uh, and Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I uh, without someone to explain it to me? And he'd been reading from Isaiah 53, the famous text about the suffering servant. And he wonders, who is this servant that the prophet speaks of? And Philip uh, opens his mouth and explains that this is Jesus. Uh, The gospel is shared. The man desires to be baptized. Uh, There's water there. He and Philip step into the water. And then the eunuch heads for home. Philip's travel ends with the spirit taking him to Azotos, where he continues to spread the gospel. Now, what should we make of all of this? What is there to learn from this? Well, this is not the formal opening of the church among the Gentiles. That will come in chapter 10 with Cornelius. But this man represents the marginalized in the people of God. Jesus, through Philip, is reaching people who are on the fringe, the Samaritans, and now this Ethiopian eunuch that, because he's castrated, cannot enter uh, the temple. And we too, you know, we can marginalize people as we think about who to invest in to share the gospel. One of the things that uh, is true of my wife, Nancy, is that when I met her, she was involved in what 
was then called special education or with special needs children. She worked with what then were called severe and profoundly retarded children. They were children mostly that were unwanted uh, by their families. And she was an advocate uh, for uh, Down syndrome uh, children and others who were in the congregation. She was completely convinced that though their minds could not understand uh, at the level many adults could, that they could understand the gospel and come to genuine, joyful faith in Christ. We, we need to join what God's doing among those who otherwise are marginalized, who we would just think, well, the gospel really isn't for them. We also see something else here that's just really extraordinary. We see God's sovereignty in evangelism. God directs Philip to this man. The man happens to be reading one of the most explicit prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, There just happens to be water for him to be baptized. And then God directs Philip to his next assignment. Do we expect seek and look for God's involvement? Are we confident that God's sovereign in the mission he's entrusted to us to evangelize the world? Do we functionally believe that God has placed in our lives people who he is preparing to receive the gospel? Do we think that when we talk to somebody and have the opportunity to have a conversation on a spiritual topic, that it's really all up to us to persuade them? Are we so uncertain of God's involvement in these conversations that we hold back when we should speak up? There are several implications here as Luke challenges us with what are we doing to advance the gospel? Just what are we doing? to advance the gospel. Well, there's much, much to encourage us here. And one of the very first things that you need to understand about verse four is how unfortunate it is to translate uh, the word preach that's here. Um, Especially if you think it's what I'm doing up here this morning, because that's not uh, what these men and women were doing. And Luke shows us here, and he will uh, throughout his book, that there are many ways the gospel can be communicated, and it can be communicated in, in a number, there can be a number of different ways to approach its truth. In Samaria, yes, uh, Philip preaches uh, to a mass gathering, and he develops how Jesus fulfills the kingdom of God. But with the Ethiopian, He explains how Christ fulfills every Old Testament uh, expectation, but it's a conversation. Now, preaching really means to proclaim, and there's always an an element of announcing what God has done in the sharing of the gospel. But it doesn't mean these ordinary Christians who were scattered went around delivering sermons to people. You see, the church here grows not by the centralized planning of its leaders, but because ordinary believers take the opportunities given to them to make Christ known. And this implies at least two things. 
They were motivated. They were uh, enraptured with Christ. And out of the fullness of their love and joy, the gospel uh, flowed. And they learned how to communicate the gospel in a winsome way. They knew not only the content, but how to talk to people in such a way that Christ was made attractive. Now, I've uh, served more than a few churches now. And in my almost four decades of doing this, I've rarely seen more than a handful of people, not even 10% of the church, who exhibits the qualities we see here in these lay Christians as they're scattered. Most of the people in the church are apathetic about the gospel. They really aren't moved to be concerned about people or to share it. In fact, they're much more excited about, well, you name it, professional sports, hobbies, travel, food, cultural opportunities, uh, politics, maybe a book they're reading, uh, a movie. They're just, you, it, you can just see their excitement. Uh, they're, they're actually, you know, uh, they're spokesmen for things they're not being paid for. Uh, but for Christ, they're usually, they're pretty quiet about Jesus. And while it's possible to offer training, and I've offered training in the churches I've served, most of the church is pretty disinterested. It's kind of like a high school student who's required to memorize the periodic table or to learn trigonometry. And they think, what's the point of that? I'm never going to use it. You see, only when our hearts are motivated by love, when we're confident in the sovereignty of God, and we're hopeful that people will actually hear the gospel and respond to it, will we ever want to be trained? Actually, will we ever really care what happens to people? I want to close by sharing two little vignettes. They're from another part of the world, but they they really convey what the Spirit can do. There are numerous indigenous movements of Christianity emerging in the Arab world. Three of them are in Jordan, and they involve thousands of people. One of them happened this way. A short-term foreigner who spoke no Arabic took a taxi ride and shared her testimony with the driver who was genuinely interested in her words. They exchanged phone numbers, and some men on the Operation Mobilization team led him to Christ. Within weeks, several hundred people came to Christ through his effective witness. They reached one man who reached several hundred people in a short uh, time. You see, we don't know whether this uh, man Philip spoke to, this Ethiopian man, was responsible for bringing the gospel to the country we know as Ethiopia today. He was actually uh, from the area we know today as Sudan. 
But by the 4th century AD, we know that there was a substantial church there. And it may very well have been just this one man through whom the gospel spread in both of these lands. In another Arab country, in Algeria, there was a young man who'd been severely depressed for two years. He'd hardly slept for three months, and his family tried everything. Doctors, medicine, the imam, even sorcery, and all in vain. And then a Muslim neighbor told him, I hear that in a nearby town, there's a church where the pastor prays for people and they are healed. Why not try that? And so the man attended a service there, went forward for prayer, and he left a follower of Christ. And he went home and slept through the night from that point on. His family was astounded. And they said, what medicine are you on? And he said, I'm not taking any medicine at all. And he said, I went to the Christians who pray for people, and I've been healed. And his family said, well, we all have different needs. Let's all go there and see what happens. And so he had a truck filled with people to take to church, and nearly all of them trusted Christ that day. Later, the workers from Operation Mobilization went to get his story. And when he arrived at the home, all the family members said, we have stories too. We want you to hear our story as well. Do we expect God to be at work? Do we think that God can do things that we just can't imagine? Do we look for God to be involved? Do we pray with expectancy? It's God that moved Philip to an unexpected place and an unexpected time with unexpected people to engage in an unexpected conversation. There's so much you couldn't anticipate about this. But Philip engaged in a conversation with this man that explored the good news of Jesus Christ. An extraordinary thing happened that day. And if we offer ourselves to the Lord God, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and the Lord Jesus can do extraordinary things through us as well. Let's pray. Gracious, most gracious Father, thank you for uh, what we've seen today and for the marvelous things that you're doing all over the world. Father, stir our imaginations. Stir up in us a a passion, uh, such a deep love for you that we ourselves would be uh, moved, moved toward those who would otherwise be overlooked, open uh, to those unexpected opportunities, willing to let you interrupt our days, to bring us into conversation with people otherwise we might never talk to. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.